Hey, all you beautiful people, and happy Resurrection Weekend to you. Welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. If you're listening to this podcast after Resurrection Sunday, I want to tell you, don't worry. You're still right on time, as I believe deep down that the truths that God seems to be stirring are for this season as a whole, not just for this week. But what a beautiful week to consecrate our hearts to God on an even deeper level and to come around the cross and His resurrection this unprecedented Easter weekend with open hands, open eyes, open hearts, and open ears as we even just listen to what He's doing in the world. As I've lived sheltered in place over the last few weeks, there have just been several specific spiritual themes that I have not been able to get out of my head and my heart. And I can't help but believe, even just based on what I'm hearing from others, that God has something so specific for us during this global pause. I believe that it's the makings of an awakening, and I don't want to miss it, and I know you don't want to miss it either. I do believe that God is always on time, He's in control, and He is moving in our midst, even when we can't see it. I love what my friend Natalie Witcher shared the other day on her Instagram. She said this, "'There's something holy in this season.'" It's hard to describe, but if you sit with it for a moment, you just might sense it. History has shown that pressure on the people of God activates faith and innovation. We are not facing something new. Viruses, illness, tragedy, and destruction have always plagued the planet. What we find ourselves facing is an unprecedented global opportunity for the gospel. A global pandemic, yet a gospel balm, as in a healing balm. A global full stop, but a gospel wildfire. I could not agree more, Natalie. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were all able to get in a room together right now and just start to share about what God's doing in our lives? I have no doubt that there would be great evidence of an array of growth happening in all of our hearts. But I also believe that we would just start seeing common themes emerge. These are not the only two themes that I believe that God is stirring in this season, but I do believe that they are on His heart for us. Salvation and Sabbath. Everywhere I look, I'm seeing these two themes stirring. My friend Michelle on her Instagram the other day talked about these two themes, but she used the words repentance and rest and shared how these two themes, repentance and rest, are actually vital keys in restoration In other words, you can't have one without the other. Repentance and rest, salvation and Sabbath. I just want to focus on salvation this resurrection weekend, and we'll actually come around Sabbath at a later time. I know some of you might be thinking, well, this podcast isn't for me. I'm saved, and I've also had about enough of Sabbath at this moment, so maybe the next one's not for me either. <laughs> Feels like all we've done is rest and Sabbath for weeks, right? Can't we just get on with life now? Well, I think that's the point. God is prodding us and allowing this pressure to be placed upon us so that we might truly get on with life now. The life that He offers, not the life that this world offers. When we look at this word salvation, in the Old Testament, we see it as the hand of God rescuing His people from slavery from Egypt as a part of His covenant promise to Israel. Well, in the New Testament, salvation is God's covenant extended through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, our final Passover lamb. 
This past Wednesday, April 8th, was Passover. This falls usually midweek of Easter, but sometimes it falls other times during the Easter week. Passover's maybe not something we've grown up paying much attention to through the years. We've, you know, always known it was Palm Sunday, of course, because our Sunday school teacher would give us the big palm branch to wave as we imagine Jesus, the King of Kings, riding through Jerusalem on a donkey. But Passover just seems to kind of get passed over during the Resurrection Week. We have our Easter egg hunts, our Good Friday services, and of course, we navigate the congested parking lots of our churches as we all gather together on Resurrection Morning. I know we wish we were doing that this weekend, yet here we are, sheltering in place for this past Palm Sunday, this Passover that just passed over, this Good Friday, and this Easter. We will shelter in our homes oddly much like the Israelites did in Exodus 12 on the night of the first Passover. There's this beautiful outline that I found in an old book that I have called What the Bible is All About. And when I came to the book of Exodus, I found this section called The Divine Order of the Passover. And I share with many of you that I've been reading the Bible all the way through because I've never made it all the way through. I hate to even say that, but I'm determined to do that this year. But when I got to Exodus, I had to go to this book I have, What the Bible's All About, because I wanted to come around what all of this truly means, and this section really moved me, and I want to share it with you. I want us to walk through it as a way of consecrating our hearts this Easter weekend in a fresh way, and even as I said, if you're listening to this after Easter, you're still right on time, that we might each individually be able to behold the Lamb of God together in this season I also believe that God wants to bring salvation in this season, to seek and to save the lost. I also believe that He wants to restore to those of us who are saved the joy of our salvation. Let's read together about the very first Passover. Exodus 12, 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take from the sheep or the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. First of all, I can't help but be struck by the very first verse. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. I cannot help but believe that this April, and everyone keeps saying it, but this unprecedented April that holds this Passover and resurrection of the year 2020, I cannot believe that it It marks a new beginning. I believe we have yet to see it all. I believe in many ways this shall be for us the beginning of miraculous months to come. Will it all be a piece of cake moving forward from this? I highly doubt it. But I cannot help but believe that we are going to continue to see God do glorious things in our midst. This is a beginning. In this passage, notice how specific God is that they are to take a lamb on the 10th day and keep it until the 14th day 
when they were to slaughter it. In the past few years, I've actually come to understand something really significant about the specifics of Jesus' death and resurrection. My dad actually shared this discovery with me, and honestly, he said that I could blame everything on him if I get a bunch of pushback about it. (laughs) So, Dad, this is all your fault. But actually, this has become the view of many respected scholars over the years, that Jesus was crucified on what would have been their 14th day of the month. We know from the scriptures that it was Passover week, but to fulfill Exodus 12, 6, Jesus was crucified on the 14th day when lambs were slaughtered for Passover. How beautiful is that? What's the big deal? Well, it's because it doesn't actually line up with the crucifixion happening on a Friday, as in Good Friday. And you know what? That's okay. You know me by now to know that I'm not getting on some kind of soapbox about Good Friday. (laughs) Should we corporately commemorate and come around His death together every year? Yes. And is it okay that we're doing that on a Friday? Of course. But I think you'd all agree that it's also really beautiful when we find the intentionality of God in His Word. When we find the breadcrumb trail, as Eric and Kristen Hill would say, things that help us to remember that God is a God who remembers every detail. When you read the account of the Holy Week in the Gospels, and I hope you'll discover this for yourself and ask the Holy Spirit on your own. Don't just take my word for it. This is just what I've come to see and discover and believe. But as you read the events of Jesus' arrest and trial, crucifixion and resurrection, you have to take into account that the days were counted in Israel at that time from sunset to sunset. So sundown would be the start of a new day. You also have to take into account that there was a high Sabbath and Passover going on at that time, as well as their regular Sabbath that was observed every Friday evening into Saturday evening. So when you read the Gospels and you piece together this whole story, it's really important to remember all those things. Jesus being crucified on the 14th day would actually be a Wednesday. This makes it possible and imperative, as I said before, for Jesus to fulfill really this divine order of the Passover that we're coming around today. This is also imperative because it fulfills what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus being crucified during the slaughter of the Passover lambs allows for these three full days and three full nights before his resurrection. Jesus made sure to point this out again in Luke eleven twenty nine 29, when he says, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. People argue, as you can imagine, about a Wednesday crucifixion, which would put Jesus in the ground more than those three days he mentioned but not if he rose from the grave just after Sabbath on Saturday night, which would actually be the beginning of their Sunday. Remember, the days were sunset to sunset. So when darkness came on Saturday night, it was really the beginning of the first day of the week in Israel, which is Sunday, and of course, the beginning of a whole new day for mankind. John 20 says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, she said, and we don't know where they have put him. 
Again, it says early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. And early Sunday morning, of course, we begin to see the ruckus over his resurrection and several accounts in the gospel when Jesus starts to appear to his friends as the risen Lord. Does any of this need to become a subject for a debate at your next dinner party? You know, when you get to actually have dinner parties? I don't think so. (laughs) We don't need anything else that would cause division. But you have to admit, it's beautiful when we get to see that God remembers every detail. Again, study it for yourself and let it be a means of drawing your heart nearer to this God who thought of everything and remembers every little thing from the old covenant to the new. Let it stir our devotion to this saving God as we behold the Lamb this resurrection week. So this divine order of the Passover, let's let our hearts come around this for a few minutes together. Exodus 12, 3, it says, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. First in this divine order of the Passover is that we take a lamb, in our case, the lamb of God, the lamb of God. The fact that elders and fathers did this for their households at that time is very significant, and it's significant for us. My ESB study Bible says in Exodus 12, the elders of Israel were called to act on behalf of their households so that every house would appropriate the means for protection. Pharaoh's refusal to obey the Lord resulted in there being not a house where someone was not dead. In each case, the leaders acted as representatives through whom the consequences of either their faithfulness or unfaithfulness were extended to their respective houses. In other words, the leadership of the households here were literally a matter of life and death. That's powerful. I want to be sure that you don't hear me associating the death of people in Egypt in Exodus 12 with the death we're seeing in this current virus. That probably goes without saying, but I think it's important that we see that this is a picture of life and death as it pertains to sin and judgment versus the rescue and salvation of God. My dad pointed out this week in an email that he sent to his flock that he pastors here that this is about the fact that Jesus is God's cure for the worldwide pandemic of sin, which is far worse than the pandemic of COVID-19 that we're facing right now. Just as the Passover was the first feast that the people of Israel were commanded to observe, so is Christ's atoning death on the cross, the first truth we must believe if we are able to be free from the slavery of sin, saved from the judgment it deserves, and recipients of eternal life. That's John 3, 16 through 19, Romans 6, 23, as well as 10, 9 through 10. It's not enough just to know and understand that Christ has fulfilled all these things. We must believe in our hearts that Christ is truly our Passover lamb. As we take the lamb, let us remember that Jesus was the lamb without blemish, the final sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It wasn't His perfection or His unblemished life that saved us, although this was required of Him. But it was His death, it was the death of this Lamb, who is Jesus, that saved us. 
Hebrews 9:11-14 But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So in this divine order of the Passover, we are to take the lamb, believing that his sacrifice was enough for us. And next, according to verse seven, we are to apply the blood. Jesus's blood was sufficient for the forgiveness of sin, but it's not efficient for each of us unless it is applied. Exodus 12, seven says, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. There are even more thorough instructions in verse 22. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you should go out of the door of this house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So they used a small bundle of hyssop, as a paintbrush and painted the blood of a male lamb without blemish on the doorpost of their homes. Hyssop was a very common weed in Israel. It was very easy to come by. It was part of the mint family. It's known for its cleansing and medicinal properties. Again, so much detail. Part of us taking the lamb of God is to apply his blood symbolically over our hearts and lives with the paintbrush of faith, believing that Jesus' blood is sufficient and efficient for us when we believe in its cleansing power. May it be true of us in this global pause that we receive Jesus as the Lamb of God, our Passover Lamb, and may those who have yet to apply His sufficient blood to their hearts apply it, making it forever efficient for their lives. May they do so in this season. May God stir our hearts to be broken for those who have not applied the blood of Christ to their lives. May we weep and intercede and stand in the gap like never before for those who have yet to put their trust in the cleansing blood of Jesus. 
And as I said before, may God restore the joy of our salvation. To those of us who have applied the blood, maybe some of us years and years ago when we were little kids, may He renew our hearts in this day and restore our joy that we might draw others into the family of God simply because of our joy. Next in the order is Exodus 12, verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. So finally, after all the preparations, taking the lamb, applying the blood, they could eat it and be satisfied and be full. There's an order here, isn't there? First comes salvation, which requires repentance and faith and surrender. And then comes satisfaction and fullness. Again, you can't have one without the other. The nourishment and satisfaction and fullness come after we've experienced the saving power of Jesus. So this order here of eating the lamb with unleavened bread is really significant. As you may know, leaven was associated with sin in the scripture. I believe that this is to show us that us experiencing the fullness of Jesus in our lives the way that we were always meant to, which I believe is also associated with the glory of God filling our lives, this can only happen when we are going to war on sin in our lives. It's important to understand that repentance isn't just a one-time thing. We might be saved, but we still must go to war on sin in our lives every day. Listen how serious God was about the leaven in those days, and think of it in terms of representing sin. Verse 15 of Exodus 12 says, On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. God was careful in showing us how careful we must be, right? To make sure that no sin creeps in and destroys. I believe this is us taking this daily posture of Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Even as you pray that daily, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. Stop there and listen. Listen for Him to reveal if there's anything, if there's any offensive way. And lead me, God, in the way everlasting. We've talked about before how that word offensive there in the Hebrew is the word idol or the way of idolatry. Over and over, I feel like the Lord is bringing back this theme of idolatry because I believe it's still matters to him 
In fact, I've shared before of what it looks like in each of our individual lives. I write about this in my book a lot, of God valuing Himself on our behalf when we've forgotten how to value Him above all things. We're seeing this collectively right now, aren't we? Not only as a nation, but as the world. I believe that in this time of everything we know just coming to a screeching halt, the Lord is valuing Himself on our behalf because we have forgotten how to value Him above all things. So to experience the fullness of Christ and the glory of God, we must hate sin, go to war on it, and continually walk in holiness before the Lord. Do we live under the law of grace? Yes. But Paul said in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We experience the fullness of Jesus, our Passover lamb, when we ourselves live dead to sin and alive to God as Jesus is. We experience His death and His resurrection the way we were always intended to. Back to this divine order, it also says that they ate the lamb with bitter herbs. This symbolizes the bitter cup of Christ's sacrifice and suffering. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus cries, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He knows that he must drink the cup, but he cries out that it might pass because Jesus knows that the cup that he will drink is literally the wrath of God. There are several mentions of this cup of wrath in Scripture. One of them is Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Beloved, Jesus took the full weight of our sin and the full extent of God's wrath upon himself that he might extend to us a place at the table to drink from His cup forever, His cup of salvation. We too will endure suffering. We too might have to drink a bitter cup in this life. This we know for sure. But what we will not endure, those of us who receive this Passover lamb, we will not endure God's wrath. Suffering will be for a moment, but our citizenship, our place as sons and daughters is secured forever. 
Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And last in this divine order of Passover, Exodus 12.11, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This is to symbolize that we should always be ready to leave. This is in our home, as we talked about in episode three. We are sojourners here, and we're looking for a better country. This reminds us that our days here are also, they're numbered. First Peter 1.24 says, All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flowers. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Because our time here is short, we must take full advantage of our days in consuming all that is ours to receive in Christ, the fullness of His resurrection life in us and through us to the world around us, broken, dying world. Let us not sit idle, but eat and be full of the Word of God who we know is Jesus and to impart that to the world around us remembering that we're not long here and we don't belong to this world. And in fact, we're not our own. May we remember consecrating our lives and our hearts in a whole new way to whom we belong this resurrection weekend. Remember that salvation is synonymous with adoption. The word adoption means a son to place or a daughter to place. You belong to God, beloved. You are not your own. Those who understand that they belong, they live a life of dependency on the one to whom they belong. You can depend on your Father in this moment, who went to great measures for you in sending His own Son, Jesus, to be your final Passover lamb. He has provided for us. He is protecting us. As I close, I'm going to read God's Word over you just truth over you. It'll be the most important thing I've spoken over you this whole episode. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Just sit and let it fall fresh and new on you. This is the word of the Lord, Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. I was going to stop there, but I'm going to keep going. I consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but because of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until the present time. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he can already see? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Beloved, this Passover, this resurrection week, this resurrection season, this global stop that is caused for a gospel wildfire, may we take the Lamb May we apply the sufficient blood of Christ and remember the joy of our salvation. Maybe you've realized even now that you've never really fully applied the blood to your heart to make it personally efficient for you. Or maybe you've been convicted to lead faithfully and pray that your household will take the lamb and apply the blood. Praying that your neighbors will take the lamb and apply the blood, your friends and extended family. May we eat the lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, receiving his fullness and being satisfied, but also continually going to war on sin in these days and staying determined to suffer and endure well. And may we always be ready to leave, for this is not our home. Are we still here? Yes. For now, may we hold the tension in our hearts of the by and by mixed with the here and now the glorious things of God mingling with our humble, mundane. May His resurrection life fill you to the full today. He is risen. And I'll let you repeat it back. He is risen indeed.